We know the kitchen is where it all goes on. We chew the fat, make all of life's big decisions and eat straight from the tin when no one's watching. Join me, Anna Barnett, as I head straight to the heart of our guest home, where I swoon over interiors. I'm impressed by the sheer scale of a fridge and cover the most organised of freezers. We dig deep. Discuss career highs, career lows, condiment shelves and so much more. There's of course plenty of serious food chat. Each week we'll finish things off with our guests' best sandwich efforts and possibly a snoop in their fridge. Today I'm joined by an impressive and multi-talented husband and wife team. One half of this partnership is an award-winning Korean-born fashion designer whose own brand namesake label continues to flourish across continents. The other half has periodically worked as an integral part of the fashion line and also thrives in his own right as an Irish-born chef, food stylist and best-selling author, making this duo quite the power couple. In 2015, they collaborated on multi-award-winning and best-selling cookery book, Our Korean Kitchen, which brought authentic Korean recipes to the masses, paving the way for others to follow. This creative powerhouse has huge plans for the world of food, fashion and interiors, and I can't wait to see what they do next. My guests this week are husband and wife, Jordan Burke and Regina Pio. Welcome to The Filling and Sharon Kitchen. How are you both? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm very excited to be here <laughs> in your lovely home. Oh, so nice. So nice. It's, it's just exciting to have any human connection. Yeah. <laughs> At a distance, but still distance. in yeah, the same room exactly. as nice. Exactly. Um, we have to talk about your kitchen first. And I, we were just kind of mentioning before, um, I'm just about to renovate my second kitchen in kind of quite quick succession, maybe like in the last two and a half years or something. Yeah. And I feel like there's such a pressure to get it right because for me, it's work here and I guess the same for you, Jordan, but like, you know, trying to make decisions that are going to last and stand the test of time and, you know, the daily kind of grind, I guess. Yeah. How did, like, how did you find it trying to decide what you wanted and what do you, you know, what you wanted it to look like? nightmare <laughs> I think, I'm feeling even worse now because she's on to her second one in two and a half years this is our first we haven't even finished or like like a few years yeah into. I think we just had to go quite classical in a way that and I don't mean like a con conservative classical just like something bit kind of simple and yeah yeah not too decorative and just functioning hate after two months yeah and also i think if you get the foundation quite simple then you can decorate with other things and then you can change a lot but if you have the things that you can't change in a very specific style i think it's quite difficult yeah Yeah. but i think you have to devote your i mean because we clearly haven't right there's a few things that we've yet to finish but i think you have to just resign yourself to doing it and give yourself a deadline because we haven't given ourselves a deadline. And then there's just so many things that we No, have. but for the kitchen, we had deadline. Remember? <laughs> yeah, but then we... Because we had to leave. <laughs> I think still things like paint or, yeah. you know, furniture. We changed bits. it like three times and then... Did you? Yeah. yeah. I feel like we should describe it a little bit in here because it is a really beautiful... You two are both saying it's not finished. For me, this feels very finished. It's <laughs> well, like a really beautiful homely kitchen. Do you want to talk us through the... Well, aesthetic? for the people who can't see it right now, the kitchen wall is uh, cream beige. <laughs> yeah, cream beige. Yeah, but there's pretty- a very specific tone. <laughs> and loads of toddler yeah. toys flung all over the place. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, I mean, it's quite tonal and you know there's lots of because there's all the 
uh, we wanted in Korea, where Gina's obviously from, um, the kitchens are amazing. They always have these open shelves with everything on display. So that was one thing that we really wanted. So that's why there's just, there's no above counter cupboards really, apart from one. Um, and then everything is, not everything, but a lot of the crockery and pottery and ceramics and like the Korean stone bowls and the, the brass metal ones. Yeah, every time we go to Korea, my mom's like obsessed giving Jordan any kind of a traditional Korean cookery things. And then we just come with, come back with like this huge pots and... Like, that's my three dead bodies in there. It's so heavy. <laughs> but, it, but it is nice, yeah. And um, yeah, I guess we wanted to show that. And also just like childproofing in a way. Yeah. yeah. So we couldn't have like... We also put the island on wheels because... That is... Um, yeah. That's a great idea. It's just because... It's not that you can see the wheels. No, yeah, they're kind of... They're under... Because over the years of doing food shoots, there's just been... I always end up being sent to some... Uh, either as a food stylist or for my own work, sent to some location kitchen. And they always are miles away. So I was like, let's just make it so that we can do it here. Mm. I was going to ask you. all the time you, yeah. they have. And do you, so do you do a lot of shoots and do you work a lot from home? Yeah. I mean, the thing is like, we only just finished it and then. Lockdown. You know, exactly. And then we were away uh, working in Korea and Ireland for the guts of like half a year um, so it's only kind of just when this lockdown lifts, I think that's when it'll kind of kick off. Mm. Um, but that was what, you know, that was the idea for us. That was to do it in a way that it can be used for work. And we love lights. So there's like huge three ceiling, ceiling windows yeah. and then, you know, big windows to the garden. But I think it came out too much in the summertime. Like oh, we were hot. born. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to we put have to blind on <laughs> Because like, the this is like people a who are working on it, I think it's like a lot of life, but we're like, yes, please. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I've been saying. It's like, I need more glass here on this bit of the extension. I need yeah, this. And then it becomes like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. the sun comes around at this time and there needs to be glass all there. Just remove that wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes like a greenhouse. And I you're know, like, even oh. in England, it's like a hot house. It's boiling. Yeah. But I feel like maybe because we live in England, there is that like, you're constantly craving as much daylight and sunshine. Exactly. As soon as there is sunshine, you just need it all. Exactly. I know. Every when I moved here, like I was shocked when people are just like almost topless when it's twenty degrees. Yeah. And then now I became one of those people. <laughs> oh light. I know. Yeah. Vitamin D. Yeah. The seasons in Korea are so nice though. It's so yeah. beautiful in the summer. And then in the wintertime, even though it's freezing. It's so crisp and clear and blue. You know, and actually, gorgeous. I didn't realize until I moved here because in our textbook, when you're a kid, it says that it's so lucky to have, you know, four clear seasons. And I'm like, what do you mean? So other people have, other people don't have like a spring, summer, when, you know, autumn, yeah. winter. And then not, when I moved here, I realized <laughs> like, okay, it's perpetual grey. <laughs> because in Korea, it's like 38 degree, like hot, hot. Is and it? then winter minus 10, 15, so like extreme. snowing. Yeah. Yeah. So you really get to enjoy like different seasons. It's so gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. How do you guys split your time then? Because I know this year you said you spent quite a lot of time back in Korea and then yeah. also in Dublin. Mm. Uh, like, is that usual for you guys? Do you tend to kind of split your time with both of your families or? No, it was very unusual. Mm. You know, since I left Korea, the longest I spent is like three weeks. Okay. Um, but this last year, this time when we went there, 
the COVID got so bad, so we just had to stay there. Right. Um, and Korea was so far ahead of the UK. In everything terms of, was open. Yeah, yeah, it was so easy to work. Do you work feel like there. you bypassed some of the lockdown? Then do you feel like um, you had a bit of? Freedom? Yeah, our friends were like, "I yeah, hate you. Guys, you. Yeah. <laughs> Come back." I, I think I was following along a little bit hateful. I know everyone seemed like <laughs> that was like freedom. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, we had to like um, adjust our Instagram posts. Yeah, they were so well organized there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think kind of given the last year and the lockdown and the kind of, or for some of us, the lockdown, <laughs> um, do you feel like you've spent kind of indulged more in cooking and being at home and kind of family time? Has it changed things for you a bit? Do you feel like you've, you know, work hasn't been as crazy or has it? Work has actually been mental, but yeah. at the same time, you know, inevitably, and obviously we have a, a small boys for Luca, um, and there has been a routine that has set, um, kind of set in place because normally when you're out of lockdown, you could, you know, go to a restaurant mm. with Luca, meet friends, have people over, which you just weren't doing. So we've kind of got into this rhythm of cooking and then having food left over that we'll bring in as a packed lunch. I've <laughs> been really yeah. kind of organized that way. But, yeah. But work-wise, I, I just felt like, you know, I kind of envy the people who had like really time to like, you know, do anything and reflect. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because, you know, because I was in Korea, I was able to work. So I was working like a different time zone and I I kept on working. Because there's an office in Seoul, but one here. So literally just as one office was going asleep, the other one was waking up. Yeah. So that's like first lockdown that I kept on working. And then the second time they were like, okay, like go to work if you can't work from home. And a lot of fashion, you know, fittings and materials and you you can't do it from home. So I was going to studio. So for me, it's just like constant. (laughs) And then... So um, you don't feel rested at all. Yeah. (laughs) Just got a lot of... um, you know, exciting project. And, you know, I'm not here to complain, but I just felt like it was really, really busy. Yeah. So I'm ready for holiday, but I can't go anywhere. <laughs> I know. This past year, has it affected how you design and, you know, the direction that you've taken the collection in? Yeah. Has there been a kind of shift in that kind of... Because you use a lot of prints and like, you know, really bright, vibrant colours. Yeah. It, has anything been dampened down? I know. Something- <laughs> has your spirit been broken? <laughs> no, but actually, <laughs> um, I think... I'm hoping not. Yeah, no. I mean, at the beginning, you know, like you question like, okay, do we need clothes? Nobody's going out and all these things and kind of make you feel down. And then, um, and then you realize like, okay, you really miss that, you know, that you appreciate the beauty and, you know, I, you also realize you don't actually just dress for other people to see. It's like, you know, it transforms your mood, your, you know, where you are and things like that. So, I think I came around it and then, you know, working with the excitement again. But, you know, people said, because I always present kind of like really bright collections and they're like, oh, were you pressurized to present like a hopeful collection from the <laughs> lockdown? I was like, no, and it's, it's just like how I do it. But, but what you design during lockdown is like this kind of summer dream. It's like bright prints. Yeah really saturated colors Living in pool, yeah. you couldn't mentally feel <laughs> like you're on holiday yeah yeah uh, by the sea but i mean i mean there's enough sweatshirts going around in the world so i'm not, really yeah. I'm not doing we don't that. need any more pajamas i'm to prize myself out yeah. of the tracksuit the daily grind of the tracksuit <laughs> just to kind of 
be mildly presentable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Where did you guys meet? How did you, like, you know, you have very, you work in very different industries. Yeah. I kind of, I feel like we have to ask this if I've got a couple on. Yeah. yeah. You're married. In well, a bar. We, we like had people a, used to. I know, like way back when. <laughs> yeah. But that was a long time. That was like 2008. But I think the only thing we kind of found each other in kind of common ground was we were in both uh, University of Arts London. Okay. Hmm. He was at LCC and I was at St. Martin's and we're like, oh, okay. And then we were like, okay. <laughs> it was a place that we had never been to. It's not even there anymore. I can't remember the name, but um, it was this kind of slightly you know, pretentious bar. Well, it was just, it was super bankery with, and nothing Excuse against bankery, me, but no. neither of us are bankers. <laughs> so I was the odd one out. Like all the, the bankers were in like a suit and a tie yeah. and I wasn't. And, and I then was Gina was the only one who looked like a kind of a fashion student, not yeah. <laughs> a banker. And so we I, kind of just found each other. I just came to London <laughs> and my friend brought me there and then I just had no idea. Like, oh, I, I thought London was supposed to be quite different. <laughs> and like, oh, this is weird. And I just got drunk that night and then ended up meeting Jordan. Yeah, we were both. <laughs> so immediately you moved to London and you immediately meet Jordan and then that was it. You just... No, and then Jordan moved to New York for six months. Yeah, that's right. So we're like, okay, So we didn't bye. properly... <laughs> so was it, was it off the cards at that point? How, or you yeah, kept we, we've we kept never met again but that was the, the Facebook bar. days. Like it wasn't... You could, not it my was, space, not that far back. Almost. It was on the cusp. <laughs> it was like, I think we had just you know transitioned from myspace <laughs> to facebook and yeah he messaged me like how's london how's it going i was like yeah 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 you've gone to new york bye <laughs> <laughs> but then i was so we didn't yeah. properly start dating a year until later almost a year it was a bit yeah. less than a year it was yeah, like so. eight months or so when um, he came back we met for like coffee and orange juice and sat there for five hours just talking so yeah. it was really nice it's funny because as you say, like it's although it seems like wildly different cultures and countries from the opposite side of the world, there's a lot of common ground uh, between Ireland and South Korea. And like South Korea now, there's a huge um, Catholic presence there. And not that I'm a practicing Catholic, but well, let's just go <laughs> love drinking and dancing. And <laughs> that's, the common ground. <laughs> that's the common ground. But yeah, from a cultural point of view, it is funny to see, like everyone expected the wedding to be so different between the two places, but like a typical kind of Irish church wedding is not that different to a typical mm. Korean church wedding, apart from the fact that you can wear, if you want, I mean, uh, some of the traditional on, Korean clothes. Yeah, you could go super traditional, but Jordan's like, just do what you normally do if you weren't, if yeah. not do it for me because I'm a Westerner. And but it was I mean, the exact same as an Irish wedding. Oh. And you got married in Dublin. In Dublin and in Korea. Oh, yeah. Did you do both? Yeah, it yeah. was like a I tour. I was stalking the Instagram. I was like, I only saw it. <laughs> like, I didn't see that one. Not married yet. <laughs> but it was weird. You know, at the beginning, I was asking Jordan, like, oh, so did you have any Asian girlfriend? And Jordan's like, um, no, I don't <laughs> even have a friend. Is it okay? <laughs> and like, oh, great. You know, like, um, it, it is weird, but I think it's maybe worth talking about with, you know, this racism going on. Yeah. There are some people just going for Asian girls. And then I just like really wanted to make sure. That but the people that just really, what do you mean? Yeah. So you're just sitting on the bus and they will say like, oh, my ex-girlfriend was Japanese. I was like, so what? You know, like it's, it's just, it, they call it yellow fever. 
<laughs> you well, never I heard of it. Heard of Jordan it. never heard of it. I had never heard like, of it either. And it was only when I, because when she said that, I was like, oh, shit, am I supposed to have, you know, I, I was like, oh, I don't actually have <laughs> But that was my test. So Asian he didn't have any. So I was like, okay, first test. I had passed the passed. test. And then but then I realized then afterwards, it was, yeah, it was crazy. There was loads of times when we were out and if I wasn't like necessarily standing beside her, there'd be some like weirdo who would just come up and be like, konnichiwa or... No. You know, just some random Asian word. Um, and then say, yeah, like my former girlfriend or whatever was Asian. It's insane. It's bizarre. This is a whole world. I a whole know world, yeah. About. Yeah, exactly. So Jordan was very shocked. I was like, this is my life, <laughs> you know? And yeah. which is actually not what everyone's talking about currently. It's much more kind of macabre than that. It's much. And like, it is, yeah, which has been experienced as well. I mean, really? we were walking through Chinatown once, Chinatown of all bloody places. You would think that that would exactly. be a safe place to. And this man, uh, as we were walking by, just whispered in my ear, like literally as we were walking by, you traitor, can't believe you're with an Asian woman. It was in Chinatown. Like, not that that makes any difference. Like, it's horrific anyway. But yeah, I mean, th those things happen all the time. It's a bizarre, bizarre thing. I'm glad that the whole uh, racism and Asian hate thing has come up because it deserves to have some kind of a voice behind it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I feel like this this past year, I guess, I was reading in the paper today about the George Floyd case. Like, you know, these movements, It's so it, it does feel like this year has, although been a somewhat kind of, I guess a year that's like held everyone back in some way. This mm. actually feels like a massive movement of progression. Yes, yeah. Which feels promising. Yeah. But I guess, you know, again, like, you know, the Black Lives Matter, they were saying, you know, like when we go out, like we tell kids, you know, like, you know, you know what to say to the police and things like that, you yeah. know, like it's, it's like you just never think of no. as a, you know, normal whatever society and then you know unless you are in that situation you don't know so i think jordan was really shocked like yeah. what i mm. had to deal with yeah um, i remember sitting on a bus once and because there weren't seats together we were sitting seated separately and then yeah just the usual like i think he said something in chinese or something we're just like oh my god <laughs> like yeah, actually have, i'm korean yeah exactly like nothing to do with china or japan like <laughs> they just like asian girl generalized yeah. Yeah. yeah and do you speak korean have you learned any i well when i f when we first started dating i went there was free classes in the korean cultural center that i went to so i can read and write in korean and then oh. i can speak very limited conversational Korean. Your Korean enough. gets a lot better when we're in Korea. Yeah. <laughs> no one speaks English. Do you My, speak it here with Luca? Oh yeah, all the time. Uh, and he's bilingual. Um, yeah. yeah. Great. He's better than I am already. It's oh yeah. Crazy. So whenever Jordan's tried to speak to him in Korean, Luca's like, why are you speaking to me in Korean? And I was like, <laughs> you're absent. Yeah. <laughs> he totally ridicules yeah. me. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so proud of him. <laughs> But it's it's really, old, really tough learning Korean. Yeah. I mean, my because I was in a Korean kitchen in Seoul, a restaurant there, and it's kind of trial by fire. You just pick up the the words so quickly. So my food vocabulary okay. is really soft. strong, <laughs> but my business Korean is not so hot. <laughs> <laughs> and have you, Regina? Have you always had? Um, have you always been passionate about food and cooking, or does that feel like that's very much Jordan's domain? 
I think he's kind of awakened me because <laughs> I think before Jordan, I I liked eating, but I didn't really think much about it. But yeah. then it's it's like you're beside chef all the time, so you really learn about like a lot of things. And now I'm I must say I'm your best critic. <laughs> yeah, my best critic. But also, I think you yeah. took for granted. How oh, special yeah, the food of so Korea, Korea is yeah. because you were living there. So until you came to London, you had no way of comparing it. But right. the culture of food in Korea and the culture of handing down recipes and how how naturally it comes to people there um, and how good at cooking everyone is generally yeah, yeah. is incredible. And still so many traditional recipes being cooked That's you know, amazing. Jordan thought like, wow, you know, like you still have this many national dishes and still relevant to today. And yeah, so you, you, you don't really appreciate it until you, you yeah. are away from it. I miss Korean food so much. You, but you guys cook a lot of Korean food here. You must hear. Yeah. So we don't really go out. I mean, obviously we can't now, but, but we didn't go out to that many Korean restaurants. We mainly just cooked Oh yeah, we don't go out to Korean restaurants, but when you go to Korea, there you know, these like best restaurants are like specializing in only one dish for like 50 years, 100 years. Mm -hmm. And they're like bros, whatever. You can't really make that like right. instantly. So that's kind of things that I miss. Um, yeah. yeah, it's quite different to here where, you know, they would have a large menu with a number of different dishes. It's yeah. quite common to just go to a restaurant that only does one dish and yeah. people just go there for yeah that. so yeah. you get the best a bit more italian in that way where you could go to a place that specializes it's in one regional, regional cuisine or mm. one specific kind of dish but in korea it's more like one dish yeah true yeah, yeah it might like be a, a fish a restaurant or, yeah, yeah. or a specific stew or something yeah I, do you know what i actually love i was reading your book which was enormously successful our korean kitchen <laughs> and i love the kind of introduction to um how in Korea, kind of hello is actually translated. If you translated the literal meaning, it is kind of are you nourished or have you eaten rice? I think you know? <laughs> yeah. I love that because that really just so, so hones in on the importance yeah. of yeah. food and that, is, know, that being part of your culture. Yeah, because when when I live there, you don't actually question it or think about it. And then Jordan's like, so people are asking me if I've eaten. Like, why are they? I'm not just have you eaten, like. It, it literally is like, have you eaten rice? Like, or have yeah. you eaten a meal? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it kind of says a lot about the culture, and it is so normal, you know, between colleagues and all the time. It's almost like They're checking all the time there. Though <laughs> <laughs> I want to move there. I want to do that. Yeah, I mean, if you and have the assumption that is that food, if you haven't eaten, then you, you know. They might as well get straight to the point. So you couldn't possibly be in a good mood without having been fully nourished, having had a lovely meal. And, you know, if you haven't yeah. eaten, then we better get food into you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it was really fun to write that book together. And we had um, our Korean friends, photographers in the ground, you know, taking like a, pictures of local market, market and some pictures of my holiday pictures and but I think Korea. yeah I think the best did you shoot it here or did you shoot it in Korea in Korea oh, yeah well no 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 we shot the studio oh, food the photography food is, here yeah, but the location it's, it's more there, yeah. location photos but I think the best review we read was this guy said I love this book I think it was on Amazon or something like I love this book because I've never been to Korea but every time 
Um, since I read this book and talking about Korean food, every Korean people are asking me like, "How many years did you live there?" <laughs> so like, you can fake it. So it's quite interesting. Oh, and then we got this amazing letter. Oh, that was crazy! Yeah, Netherlands uh, because they had been adopted from Korea when they were a child, this so is they a didn't Korean speak mom. Korean. Yeah, um, and they'd lived in was it the Netherlands or Berlin? I think it's the Netherlands. Yeah. And so this Korean mom was adopted when she was young from Korea. And then um, now she has a son and she really wanted to, you know, give that Korean food experience. And then, you know, it was like handwritten letters, so beautiful. And now we cook Korean food together and my son loves it. And yeah, it was so nice. She was talking about kind of connecting with her culture in a way, because I suppose at the time there hadn't been really that many Korean cookbooks. Yeah was one of the first, well, I think it was the first in the kind of European market. I think there had been Apart a few in America. Apart from like bulgogi burger or yeah, exactly. diffusion types, yeah. So that was amazing to kind of see people making that connection with Korea again, which was lovely. Yeah. And how did you find it, like working together? as? Well, again, and also you were mentioning earlier that you actually worked with Regina at the start when you kind of first launched mm. your fashion line. Yeah. So you were kind of versed in working together. Any conflict, any disagreements? Or Oh, I mean, we scream at each other all the time. But, but like... I do not see that. You two seem so peaceful. Oh, no, we do. We're like, like that... fiery Italians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we scream at each other, then we get it out of the way with, and then we're grand, we move on. But I think but... we kind of did that since we started going out with each other. You know, I was doing my MA at St. Martin's and, you know, he was always like trying to help me. And then he was doing cookery course. At yeah, I was studying in Ballymaloo in Ireland at the time. So I was kind of flying, Ballymaloo is in Cork. So I was flying back and forth between the two places. And I think we we're like the advisors and helpers to yeah, each other all the time. Yeah, we've been working with each other yeah, from the get-go. So it wasn't really foreign concept to work together um and we value i think each other's opinions hugely and then also we bring different aspects to it so because before i worked in food i worked in production that's what i studied originally in lcc when i first met gina oh so one of our like um first shows and presentation uh, jordan was doing producing (laughs) for fashion shows for the fashion show yeah Yeah. it's basically just being organized yeah. essentially you know <laughs> which gina's more creative to put it nicely I so i organized when i want to be when you want to be <laughs> selective so or we kind of merge there yeah. and kind of help each other out in that regard yeah and did you imagine that the book would have such success not at all no no it's idea such a lucky book. Yeah. it's crazy when we heard like it won cookbook the awards, of the yeah. year guardian and things like that we're like what you know because even when we were writing like years ago like who would write you know be interested in korean cookbook and we didn't even think i mean i remember speaking to my literary agent and thinking oh well i mean no one's gonna buy a korean cookbook but also what we were trying to do was not very trendy it was like you know if we were going to do it like jordan thought it wouldn't do any justice just you know taking like a bibimbap or you know those kind of uh, trendy well-known we elements. didn't want to do a fusion yeah. you know because it was so it's very the first book of its kind to... in this territory so we wanted to make sure that we were doing it justice and kind of nailing all of the traditional side of the food not yeah. just doing like like a true introduction a true exactly yeah yeah, yeah. but then so we maybe just didn't think people was... you know really like that idea yeah. that it's like the authentic yeah. yeah and do you think will there be a sequel i know that was when was that like 2015 2016 
16 or if I come yeah yeah that's probably about right 2016 or so um because I feel like more and more like people absolutely love Asian food yes yeah we've definitely spoke about it it's just been such a busy few years I've been I've had one of my own books since then and then I ghostwrite for other people Yeah, yeah exactly and then yeah I've been writing for uh like I've just finished a book with the McCartney family, um, based I was on. Ask you about this. Uh, yeah, vegetarian. Vegetarian. Oh, vegan. Um, well, it's kind of vegetarian, vegan. So Linda McCartney would have been vegetarian, yeah. but I think the family believed that were she alive today, she would be vegan. Um, and then I worked on Olafur and Cotton's books and uh, did a kind of a BBC tie-in uh, for the Britain's Best Home Cook uh, series. So there's been lots of writing, but now I think we might be ready to go back to doing more for myself again. Yeah. I love the kind of balance between writing for magazines and newspapers, writing my own cookbooks, working with other people is such a privilege because you get to do something that wouldn't normally be in your realms, yeah. but apply your own knowledge and experience to that and help them bring to life what's in their head. Because they're in whatever fields that they're in and they're you know like in the case of Fern she's such a brilliant cook and such a natural effortless cook and so really I I just got to help her kind of bring all those to life and get them down on page and that's such a joy to do that it's such a really enjoyable process mm. and I loved working with her or so our friends want Korean made EG <laughs> yeah I know because that was so traditional it's quite difficult so we might have to do an easier version I feel like every like 15 minute yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly everyone loves yeah. 15 minute. I know but Jordan's like you, you don't like that kind of well thing. it's not I don't want to completely dumb it down I mean I'm all for doing something that's a little bit easier but I, I wouldn't call it like 15 but it's always Korean. like I say <laughs> that to Jordan like, why don't you do that and then Jordan's like you know why don't you do like this kind of easy dresses and things like yeah. that so I'm like <laughs> yeah it's the same for fashion yeah, like if exactly. I told you to just yeah. Yeah. you need a slip dress yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. whatever yeah. <laughs> actually it's funny because uh, we kind of call it if I see one of her designs and I'm like that is absolutely hideous that's horrific that's never going to sell invariably it's a bestseller so that's the marker for yeah. oh my god we need to push We've this got a winner. <laughs> double order <laughs> like the Greta dress way back when it's this huge puff sleeved yellow dress that was an absolute sensation is that the Kate Foley one yes exactly and I remember seeing it at the time and like I just think this is like a bit full on it's like an 18th century (laughs) puff sleeve (laughs) and then like it's been you know an enormous but it's almost like I was kind of connecting to that you know this kind of um I don't know as a like a child memory that all the girls have like you know but not making it like a girly it's almost like scaring people off it's like you know this is yeah exactly it's almost empowering because they don't care how other people see this is how much you know i i feel happy about this dress and how and you don't care what anyone else thinks yeah exactly so i think it's really empowering that way and you know i still have those dresses myself and then you know Every time I wear it, you know, it just immediately puts me in great mood. Uh, perfect, like a wedding. Yeah. And the color as well. It's yeah. so beautiful. Dresses. <laughs> it is marigold, like that, yeah. that first one. Mm. So beautiful. I actually 
love your, it's not like, what is it? Like a zebra print with the big puff sleeves and it ruches back in and then goes back out on the sleeve and the, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like just the most fun dresses. Like if, you, if you're if you wearing that, you're going to have a good time. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're going to have five margaritas. I <laughs> 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 oh, can't wait. It was kind of interesting as well. Um, prior to you writing Our Korean Kitchen, I read that you worked or like your mom actually taught you a lot of uh, recipes and traditional recipes, passing them on to you. Do you feel like that was quite an kind of honor to have that that knowledge imparted on you? Yeah, I, you know, the first time I was staying in Gina's family home in Korea, I would wake up in the morning and there would just be this incredible smell because her mum is an early riser anyway. How early? I mean, her (laughs) mum gets up at like six o'clock in the morning or something, but she was getting up and cooking this feast for me every morning. And, you know, it's not like here where you wouldn't necessarily have a savory breakfast there. I remember you were shocked, like, because Western breakfast is just like porridge or something like that. And it's like a full on, like a dinner feast. You know, there'd always be a bowl of rice that's central, always some kind of a soup or stew. And then a number of different side dishes for for men. So there'd be anything from kimchi to uh, something that's been pickled. Um, and then there might be some fish or meat alongside it. So, you know, it, it's really impressive when you see it. It's not yeah. just one plate. You come out and there might be 10 or 15 small bowls of things. I love that type of eating where you can just try and like yeah. try a bit of everything. So and imagine waking up to that at like 8 a.m. Right. when you're kind of like, oh my God, you know, I'm barely getting to know my parents-in-law and they're cooking this feast for you. So it just felt like such an honor. And then... You know, my Korean at the time was quite limited and her English is quite limited. So we kind of bonded through the cooking. It's just the most special relationship. I adore it. This much or that much? Oh, yeah, because they, you know, it's the typical thing of just firing whatever into it. And they're like, oh, yeah, just a little bit. My mom never cooks from recipe. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a single cookbook in the house. No. So um, every time Jordan's like, okay, I need to like, you know, get this recipe. And then I'm like, like grabbing the spoon and measuring it. And then she's like, you're making me nervous. Like, you know, she's very, you know, intuitive, intuitive yeah. cook. So yeah. every time it will taste a bit different. <laughs> I feel like when I did a cookery class out in Puglia, we went, we mm. were in um, Monopoly and mm. I went to this woman's house. She had like a, um, what's it, like an agro-tourisma. Like yes. she was living off the farm. She, you know, you could come mm. and stay the rooms if you wanted, but they were making their own olive oil. They had, you know, the animals. That are Gorgeous. Very, you know, but very rustic. Yeah. Very, you know, not fussy at all. And the cookery class consisted of, I mean, Tom, my husband, didn't mm. get a look in. He was just kind of, <laughs> he was just kind of, you stand there. He yeah. was like, it was explained that he he doesn't cook. And cook. So he was just there to observe. I also, like, when they had... Uh, her daughter-in-law was there who could speak a bit of English and so she was like saying oh yeah like Anna cooks and you know she loves Italian food and you know she'd love to get involved here yeah. she's like yeah okay and then just kind of pushing me into the corner so I, I also just I was allowed to look but just at a closer proximity that is just like you know each dish she made and we were actually just making dinner that she would serve for that evening yeah. so I was just paying essentially to watch her to watch her yeah it was brilliant it was like the most amazing learning you know, by osmosis totally there yeah. was no there wasn't the opportunity like I could not be trusted with like a knife and a chopping board. No, like, forget so, it. So yeah, totally. But yeah. it was just quite interesting to kind of see. But it's the so, cultural totally. thing. Totally. My mom's very funny now. She she wouldn't wake me up 
and she would just wake Jordan up and then help her cooking now and because like it's good opportunity for Jordan to learn and then she thinks then he can go and cook for her daughter oh, <laughs> yeah it's gas that's sweet. and for Luca as well now yeah. she loves the idea of us kind of continuing the culture and the tradition of yeah. home Korean cooking yeah. in London but my mom's Luca. quite funny that way you know I was never kind of it? He cooks, yeah, he's very kind of domestic for like a Korean that generation, you know, quite like a macho, but right. he's always been cooking on the weekend. Yeah, that would be quite unusual for yeah. his generation to and cook. Then, yeah. um, but is that changing in Korea now? Oh, yeah, of yeah, course, hugely, like young yeah. generations, they cook together or the husband makes the meal. And But my mom never kind of forced me to do any kind of housework. So I'm really I, I bad at grew up on housework. <laughs> I know, me oh, too. Uh, I had yeah. like those six of us kids. We had two, you'd get literally given two baskets, like piled high yeah. with ironing. I used to watch two <laughs> movies back to back. Oh my I feel like literally now I have such an aversion to ironing. I'm like, nothing, that does not need ironing. No. Wow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really like bad at it. And then my parents wrote a letter when we were getting married to Jordan's parents that my daughter like, is not very good at housework <laughs> my parents were yeah, like yeah exactly no. yeah it was so funny because they're you know I suppose it's just that more conservative uh, generation of Koreans and um, again, because of the language barrier, they were, it was kind of like a letter of introduction that they got, you know, to translate. And then my parents wrote back to them. This was before they kind of first met. This yeah. is so It was sweet. so lovely. Uh, but it was just so funny reading it. They were like, you know, she's not hugely domesticated. <laughs> And, and my parents were just talk, laughing. Talk your parents out of a lie. Yeah, the yeah, like that. Really, you know, and you Jordan's should know. parents have he, he no really idea. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, "But why are they saying about this?" Like, they just have no idea. Yeah, it was so like foreign to them. Yeah, but yeah, they get on so well together. It's amazing. And what's home like for you? What do, kind of what recipes? What what kind of foody environment did you grow up with? Well, like 80s Ireland typically would have been very meat and two veg. Um, my mum, though, is a brilliant cook and was always inspired by the food of, you know, other parts of the world, which, I, I mean, that just sounds so normal now, but it really wasn't yeah. in like 80s yeah, so Ireland. Did she go to like a dumpling making course from a Chinese woman? And Yeah, that's true. Yeah. In the 80s? Yeah. yeah and and she cooks Thai food. Yeah, and- she was just hugely into it just I mean not from a career point of view just you know she worked in a totally different field but uh she was just passionate about it um and then we also had really close uh family friends from Spain and then we had some Spanish au pairs that were friends of that family or part of that family who uh came over to learn English and then would look after us as kids so we also spoke in Spanish and cooked lots of Spanish right. food at so home do you speak Spanish now? I mean, I've, I feel like I've lost it. My, my, my first word was zapato, which is shoe in Spanish. And also adding con because <laughs> the, the, uh, au pair would be like, go to the corner. But, uh, yeah, we spoke in pretty much fluent as kids. And then I just kind of lost you it. You still do. Yeah. Like if I go back, I can kind of chat away and people just assume because my action accent is very good. They just think I'm completely perfect. And then I'm like, ah. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, so we would, uh, cook a lot of Spanish food at home, you know, so there was spice, tons of onion and garlic. And that kind of, I feel like is the foundation then of my food experience, which again was very far into the Irish one. Uh, so I don't feel like I had a, a really traditional Irish foodie mm-hmm. upbringing, 
But at the same time, you know, there's certain dishes that would be common to both Ireland and England in a way, but just with different cultural influences leading into them. But the dishes, whether it's some kind of a nice version of meat and two veg. Um, <laughs> I'm so grateful that your family don't eat like that. I know, it's <laughs> not I super. I really don't like that traditional kind of... So you're not a Sunday lunch kind of family? I don't really like the roast, the you gravy. know, big chunk of meat. And I mean, in Korea, it's so different. You know, the meat is marinated in the, you know, the chili and the soy sauce and with the sweetened by kiwi and it's so softened and you, you know, barbecue it. And it's like another experience. So I almost become vegetarian in the oh, UK. Really? And then whenever I go back to Korea, I'm like a meat eater. It's the quality of the meat and fish in Korea is next level. I've never come really? across anything like it. It is just stunning. And obviously yeah. the method of cooking it and the way they marinate it. Um, and as Gina was saying, they had the kiwi or the Asian pear, which they used in the marinade to tenderize the meat right. and the, and how they cook it then. It's so tender, just melting. And they use bone. a lot of high pressure cooking. Mm. So it just like falls apart and so soft. And so I don't blame so her. It's flavorful. very, <laughs> very, very good. So in terms of like quality of meat and fish, what's the, is there like different standards that they adhere to in Korea? Like how... Or is it just There's, the proximity? Although, I mean, well, things are changing a little bit, but there was much less of the intensive farming, farming right. that we had there, here. It's, we, it's like 70% of, of the country's mountains. Yeah. And uh, three, like, I mean, it's almost like island because of how it's um, connected to North Korea. Three sides of the entire country are sea. So we get like, you know, mud where you get loads of like clams and like a shellfish. And then the other side is like a deeper sea and you get like, I don't know, bigger fish and things like that. So there's like really good produce um, everywhere and they are good at fermenting. And again, it ties into what I was saying previously about the knowledge of food that's you know, handed down from generation to generation. It's the same with the farming. Although they are having more problems now because the traditional um, less intensive methods that they have always used for centuries, now they're finding it more difficult to find the younger generation of people who want to continue on. You know, they might want Mm -hmm. to work in different fields. And so that's something that is a bit concerning, but uh, they're so proud of it that I know they'll find a way to keep those uh, mm. traditions going um and when have you ever been to korea because yeah, when you go well, we make it look us like, up and we'll... do you know what i've actually already looked up i was thinking about this the other day because i looked up an article of like your favorite places to like eat i was like right okay this is this could <laughs> just be the guy yeah exactly um i mean but this almost make it sounds like it's like not a super traditional but then when you go to seoul there's like you know, like this Western brunch places everywhere. We have like a tartan bakery and all this like, yeah. So it's because it's such a fashionable city and so cosmopolitan. I mean, Seoul makes New York look like a little parochial village. It is absolutely (laughs) enormous, modern, fast paced. And they have this knack of just tapping into, you know, like tartan bakery in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. They have never franchised or done anything anywhere. Uh, but yet somehow Seoul, Korea managed to convince them to come to Korea and open one there. And they have the same version of that for multiple other companies. Um, mm. And so the food scene there is just next level. You have absolutely right. everything. Yeah. yeah. 
I do want to. I have just the thought of traveling again. No, <laughs> I know. Really exciting prospect. <laughs> We've actually really boldly booked a holiday with our friends yeah. for end of August. I'm like, mm, fingers this crossed. Could happen. This yeah. could, this like, could this happen. This is possible. Yeah. <laughs> what would you pinpoint as being like the pinnacle of your careers so far? I don't know. Like, I, I get to ask about this question. You know, like, I think people are waiting to hear like oh when I dress this celebrity or something like that but I don't really have it like I think for me every day is like accumulation of what it is today but I I feel you know like whenever I look back you know just coming from Korea to here to study and didn't have the language and you know didn't know anyone and you know here I am with my own company and you know, like a full of talented women working uh, together and, you know, having this kind of uh, fans who love our clothing. And, you know, it, it is very, like, amazing when you think yeah. back like that. But, um, you know, every day is, like, uh, quite hard to realize what you accomplished, yeah. <laughs> you know, like... I always um, think it's quite nice to stop and try and take stock and yeah. just kind of acknowledge those milestones because... To just, uh, you know, my history, I worked with Henry Holland for House of Holland mm. for many years. And the struggle to actually have your own independent line to to get it to a point where you, you know, it's on net porte now. Like, you know, all of those things are like huge milestones and the reach of your design, like across the world. Like yeah. those things are really like such huge milestones when you think about it. Because, I mean, I know from personal experience it's though like working in fashion is so hard and it's I think it's evolving and changing so Mm. quickly and actually it now feels kind of like fashion is starting to kind of catch up with where technology and you know Mm. used to show I don't know like I guess show now by now is like becoming more of a thing because people you know it it does seem crazy that you would show a collection yeah be available for maybe six months or so and then you know a trend is on to the next thing I always kind of struggle to understand how yeah. that translates yeah we had that same kind of experience that, and you know once you are showing in fashion week and things like that it feels like you need to continue but then when COVID happened and it's literally like perfect uh, excuse to you know really stop and think and reflect and you know what is right for the business and then we realize you know the purpose of the show has changed from past years I mean that was the only way that buyers and editors would see the new collection and then they have to prepare for you know six months later how it's going to be seen in public but these days you know when you have a show it's like out there on Instagram like on the same day and people are messaging you like oh can I buy this coat can I buy this dress and like no you have to wait for another six months and it sounds really silly um so we we try to kind of break that gap between the real life and the fashion kind of calendar so yeah. kind of aligning it together but still like there there is a huge amount of you know traditional industry things that kind of it's, it's hard to change on your own so kind of need everyone on board yeah but I mean we don't have any investors or things like that so we can make a lot of um kind of difficult decisions how depending on where we value and how mm, we believe we can move in quite quickly yeah so we were just like trying out and you know see what what's best and what makes sense most and um we'll see yeah and so, like on the sustainability front mm. like do you feel like that's been a huge pressure of like it feels like 
I think across the board and we're seeing it now like more mainstream fashion lines or kind of high street fashion yeah that people are really kind of taking note that you know people want to buy more consciously and and have more transparency around yeah. what they're buying into yeah are you feeling that pressure like how how much of a challenge is that it's it's never been like um you know I'm pressurized to do it because like from the get-go like when you learn like okay fashion industry is like one of the most polluting industry you know it really breaks your heart and I'm I'm in it and sometimes when you look at the detail you're like oh I just want to stop and walk away and then you know it's my friend who's um expert in sustainability who I work with day-to-day basis so um she's the one actually you know if you just walk away you don't achieve anything but to make changes and you know educate ourselves together with people then you need to be in it to make those changes so um it has been years and you know it's it has it's been really hard because you know when you try to find exciting fabrics that is not other than just white organic cotton um no one's making it but um these days i think people are very kind of cooperative you know we have mills in italy who are you know very kind of accommodating to swap the yarns to recycle polyester or organic linen and things like that so all the material things but i think still like because i'm learning every single day like we really need to like look into how these material effects you know like you know for example like vegan leather or faux fur or you know make it like we're doing good things but faux fur is made out of like acrylic which is plastics and you know those microfiber goes into the sea and the fishes are fish die a lot of the time things can be in the same way that food can be as well you know when you think of all the the non-meat substitutes and how sometimes they're just as bad for the environment if not worse yeah Um, and it's just all about marketing now you know mm. vegan leather is like driven by you know plastic oil again and you know all, all these things when you actually look into it but you know actually like a food you know natural and healthy but when you look into it so it's like you know Mm. another tool to sell more to people you have to really be educated in it to try and understand it and i think the one good thing that going back to your question is that it isn't so much a pressure because it's something that we have always wanted to do and that with um renee our managing director who's gina's friend who she referred to as an expert in that field she's been able to guide us through things which has made it so much easier to get your head but also i think it. it makes it more real when you know i was pregnant five years ago with my son and you know like this is not just at your disposable there's like another generation coming yeah. and you know this is like the least you can do and they're gonna grow up and like daddy mommy what did you do like you yeah, know yeah. so you don't want to be part of the problem exactly. yeah and yeah. you're yeah. just at least trying to do things in but it makes it 10 times harder because the materials are more expensive it's harder to source so and yeah you really to, have to yeah it's for the love of doing it yeah it's so hard as well because i think in food i there just needs to be much more transparency mm. and i just yeah. think so much of like i think greenwashing is a thing and yeah. we all you know everyone's busy you want you know it's about that kind of immediate gratification and you grab that and you think you know you see the packaging and it's designed a certain way and you think you're making the right decisions and actually as soon as you take the time to look into something more closely so frequently you can be 
surprised that actually yeah. it's not what you mm. think it is. It's, it is it's still a process, you know, highly processed product or... And some know. of the massive multinational companies, they're so clever, you know, they create a, a small, ind- like yeah. a, a company within the, their company that looks like it's some great little artisan startup. And they do all the marketing and the the voice of that brand feels so separate to it. And then it's like, actually it's owned by whoever, not naming any names. And we'll talk about that yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll list them. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really tricky. You have to really do the research. Yeah. What do you hope the next 10 years will bring for you both? Wow. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, when you think about how much has changed in the last year, it's crazy. In such an unexpected in, way. In such an unexpected way. Yeah. Mm. And I think the main thing that drives us both is, you know, the fact that we have our own son and if we have any more kids, wanting to, you know, as Gina just referred to there, live in a way that we can be proud of with both of our careers. Obviously, you know, London's an expensive place to live. You still have to earn a living. You still have to work. And, you know, sometimes I think of like moving to some self-sustainable farm somewhere, but, you know, actually I I still... that's the dream. That's the pipe dream. Have you seen Biggest Little Farm? No, I haven't. Oh my God, watch that. And you'll be like, we need to do this. (laughs) The the lamb will take care of itself. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just frolic in the hills. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you have this dreams like my dream would be like um becoming a painter and fine artist and do the residence in mexico and yeah. you know like, but i think i suppose in the immediate future we have because we've worked together you know a, a lot of the people on the outside still assume that i'm just only food and jeans only fashion but you know, we work together so much and we want to kind of try and bring that together. So we're looking at opportunities at the moment that would have a space that would be part offices. So there'd be part development kitchen, part Gina's uh, creative studio. Then there would be some retail for, again, her um, her brand, but then also having like a food basis there as well. Making yeah. more like a local hub. Hope, yeah. Yeah. And just uniting the food and the fashion. They can come and eat Jordan's food and like look at the clothes and see what we do. And, you know, it's like combined with the studios. And then we can also like, you know, host some young artists and who's like struggling to do exhibitions or things like that. So a lot of them kind of. It would be very collaborative. Yeah. That sounds heavenly. And do like Korean supper clubs. Yeah. Yeah. That could be nice. Because I feel like, you know, when you look at, um, and so many of the chefs that I worked with um, in the past went on to either be head chefs in big restaurants or open their own restaurants. Mm. And it really is so, so tough. I mean, this year in particular, obviously. Um, And when you have a space that is depending solely on the sales of the food and the alcohol in order to earn its keep you know or it's keep especially in London where everything is just so phenomenally expensive in terms of rent you know it's nice to have a space that is multi-purpose yeah. so you're not just depending on one thing it can be quite mm. open and, and would you want to go back in the kitchen full-time I miss certain elements of it a lot but with consulting I still get to go back into loads of kitchens um and working in that way is always been such a pleasure and I don't think because I get to do so many different things now I love the writing I love the food styling which I do a lot of and I love the consulting and if I went back into a restaurant kitchen completely or set up my own one on its own 
unless you were kind of just executive chef overseeing it. Yeah. Uh, but even then you're in it every day. Um, it would mean that I couldn't do all the other work that I'm doing, which I adore. Yeah, the variation, the variety. It's so like, nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can be not to mention getting to see... chef to Regina Pio. But yeah, <laughs> well, I am already, love. <laughs> but not to mention getting to see Gina and Luca. You know, like when you're in the restaurant, you're there until, you know, crack, crack of dawn until the end of the day so yeah any restaurants that you absolutely adore that people should eat out at um and that you'll be kind of heading back to when life resumes just in this country anywhere you like <laughs> anywhere you like i will travel <laughs> god i mean it's endless isn't it well yeah i mean in london we love um we love actually paloma it's uh mediterranean food um in neil jard where is it in neil jard paloma uh, that's oh, the sister uh, restaurant. No, that's the yeah. oh, Barbary. Barbary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, yeah. in Soho. Yeah. Or on the edge of Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. A lot of people say they love Barbary, but Paloma was our first heart. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting at the bar. Yeah. They do great cocktails. Yeah, and food. just watching them cooking. and um, It's just a great buzz. Yeah. I think that bar spot is always my go-to. Isn't We've it? actually yeah. never sat oh, in really? the restaurant bit. It's yeah. only yeah. the bar. I just yeah. love I watching love the chefs. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And we you don't even have to talk to each other that way. Exactly, really. yeah. yeah. You're bored <laughs> of each other by that point. Food. Yeah. Um, we actually mentioned Babylon Store in South Africa, and that was an incredible food experience. Yeah, such a nice produce. A farm slash hotel slash restaurant and beautiful space and really Talking gorgeous about natural Paloma, food. we love also La Paloma in Yeah, Ibiza. similar name. Oh, yeah. In the orange grove. Yeah. Yeah. So Isn't that nice. place just so, like, that so magical. simple and just really beautifully yeah. done. Yeah. I it's love like, going in the evening and sitting in the garden with all the lights on and it's so... Yeah, it's like a midsummer night's dream or something. It's yeah. otherworldly. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And then God, in Korea... Your mum's so kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Very exclusive. <laughs> I mean, there's endless restaurants there. Um, I, I was going to say we love going for like a Sessionese food or something. Yeah, Khaki in uh, just north of King's Cross. Okay. It's on Caledonian Road, K-A-K-I. They do amazing Sessionese okay. food in London. Yeah. Um, Every beautiful. time you go there, there's full of Chinese people eating and you know it's a good sign. Exactly. Yeah. That's they goodness. nail it. It's yeah. so great. They do this soft shell crab that's been deep fried with about a thousand, and that's not an exaggeration, <laughs> Szechuan peppercorns and chilies. And it just is absolutely buzzing with flavor. Yeah. It's amazing. So lovely. And, and the Korean food. Is there somewhere that you go back to on in London? No, oh, really. Um, we hard just to tend to cook London. Uh, I, I mean, you could. Uh, we tend to cook at home, but in London, I think you can go to New Morden. It's like the mm, Korea time. Um, second biggest Korean town okay. after LA, so quite big. Um, but yeah, you can get more kind of authentic. Korean home cooking experience but it's very far from here so yeah so we, we rarely go there because we're in north London but yeah we would I mean for Korean we kind of mainly cook at home because otherwise you just compare so we it to, we need to wait for you guys to, to open up <laughs> yeah, open up this space with the fashion so we're shopping we're exactly eating. yeah one stop <laughs> one stop shop <laughs> have you guys got any kind of exciting projects in the pipeline yeah, I mean, we have lots of things coming out. Mm. Um, Big I, collaboration with And Other Stories. So yeah. for Regina P.I. Yeah, yeah. so that's launching uh, soon. And 
um, you will see kind of a Regina Pio's iconic designs in uh, another story's price. (laughs) (laughs) More approachable level. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there has been lots of collaboration offers, but they were very good at like a sustainable materials. uh, And I was given like a free reign of um, choosing those materials. So that really appealed to me. And then, yeah, just like communicating with wider audience and talking about this again, I thought it would be really kind of good opportunity it's yeah. beautiful they've done we, we've done a shoot uh with the collection with different women around the world so it's absolutely gorgeous yeah there's like a for uh, the only women uh, oyster diver in sweden wearing the dress on on her oyster on the boat, boat. like boat. going oyster. it's oh my kind God, of incredible yeah. to see this. Yeah. so when does this launch uh, in, April. Yeah, mid Middle April. April. Middle yeah. April. Yeah. And we were then, also shooting kids wear yesterday with, with Luca. Yeah. So it's son. kind of, a you full know, kids wear range. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm always interested in kind of a life element, not just fashion. So, yeah. um, that kind of led us to do the unisex line and then now Which the kids wear. Yeah. Um, so it was really amazing to see all the kids wearing the kind of, Regina Pugh color print and kind of the yeah it's again like a sustainably made like organic cotton and things like that so I'm very excited to kind of step into the family so difficult doing a shoot with with four-year-olds oh my god yeah, it's I was, so tough I was shooting so it myself cute, so and actually so like doing the photography yeah I do some lookbooks and you know whenever I can um and I was excited to do this but the energy I'm like just watching through the lens I'm like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> we had like six different kids it yeah. was intense but it was amazing yeah they're so cute yeah and we have like amazing kind of mothers with the kids together so the shoot is quite nice you know to have that kind of family you doing any miniatures so you're doing matching kind of adult child there's one or we two we have some yeah, because we use and... some ready to wear leftover fabrics yeah. um so that you can match kind of like a hawaiian shirts together so yeah. and kind of mini <laughs> jamie greta dresses as well like the puff sleeves yeah yeah, um, yeah. i can't wait to go to like beach somewhere and have those like summer so clothes. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. launching in kind of May time, so it'll be. Oh my goodness. So you really have been busy. Yeah. There has been no time off for you. <laughs> well, we'll have time off very soon. Hopefully. <laughs> I know. We'll have to take a break. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Gosh, that all sounds so exciting. I can't wait to see it. And my brother actually had a, um, he's got a little seven month year old girl. But yeah. So she's seven months and she's just so cute. Loads of really dark hair. Yeah. yeah. A lot eating food, eating everything now. So I just constantly am buying. Yeah, seriously. Like what's how small do we go? Uh, starts well, at like yeah, we started two. from like two. Okay. two years old to seven, eight because I found that bit tricky. You know, babies grow really fast, exactly. Yeah, and then the older kids they have their opinions already. Like they only want to wear football jerseys or yeah, like frozen like dresses. Nine and years old upwards, <laughs> it's just tricky. Yeah, so, so we're just doing kind of like uh, young toddler-ish kids and then seeing, where the parents yeah. get to make the decisions of what yeah. they're making. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like sweet time. Yes. 
this is now the the sandwich segment. I feel like the most important part of um, <laughs> on <podcast laughs> for me anyway, because um, I feel like this is a common ground. Like the sandwich, everyone makes the sandwich. People get very opinionated about a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, people talk a lot about butter, mayonnaise, me. Mayonnaise. Yeah. yeah. So I would love to know what is your go-to sandwich and what are you going to make for me today. So it's a kimchi kimchi cheese <laughs> sandwich. It's, the, it's basically our backgrounds merged into a sandwich because I'm pretty much 100% Irish butter and Irish cheese, Irish dairy, and Gina's 100% Korean kimchi and merged the two together. And it's kind of just the perfect combination because the acidity that you get with the kimchi, and we kind of do a combination of, we make our own kimchi and then you fry some of the kimchi. Right. Which gives it a kind of a more deeper, complex, caramelized flavor. sweeter, yeah, caramelized, yeah. yeah. And then you have the more acidic, fresh kimchi. And then um, you have the tang of the cheese, but the fattiness there, which is obviously vital to ground it all and bring it together. And who doesn't love fat? Uh, <laughs> and are you toasting this? How does and then you toast it. And what the way you toast it. <laughs> yeah, so basically you kind of butter both sides of the bread. Yeah. And I, like obviously salted butter I was gonna, that was going to be my next question like is, is that salted or unsalted <laughs> and then uh, and then you uh, grate the cheese Gruyere and cheddar is kind of the the mix that we tend to do you kind of get that nice mixture of tangs mature cheddar and then uh, the mixture of the fried kimchi and the fresh kimchi just piled on top it's not like the most elegant of sandwiches it's a dripping cheese yeah. kimchi sandwich <laughs> this, it's this the- sandwiches don't require kind of any no. elegance or exactly yeah. Just, yeah. you're eating with your hands anyway so you yeah. might as well just dive in <laughs> And then you, well, you can do it a few different ways. Like we tend to just fry it on the pan with a bit of a weight on top. Yeah. So it gets um, really crispy. Yeah. And, yeah. and all dripping with the melted cheese. It's gorgeous. Yes. But to speed that up, you can just fire the pan into the oven as well. Yeah. Um, but you kind of want that crispy. kind of crispy edge and then the cheesy kimchi interior. It's toasty in sandwich segment. Yeah, 100%. 100%. As long as it's something in between two slices of bread. It's weird, like growing up in Korea, like I, I don't have any attachment for sandwiches. Um, so do they say it's is a sandwich a thing in Korea at all? Not at no, all. No, it's more rice. Um, yeah. So I never really liked it, but then I love this one a lot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> and what bread are you using? Uh, usually sourdough. I mean, you can do it with just like a country bloomer as well, but something that's got mm, a bit of consistency and, to it yeah. so that it doesn't just fall apart. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. And then my final question, just because I'm also passionate about this, um, mm. condiments. What's the kind of, what's your fridge looking like? <laughs> oh, a disaster zone at the moment. It's so full <laughs> of stuff. I mean, I feel like any food stylist or recipe development uh, fridge is a disaster zone because you are buying so many things and using yeah. so many different things. And you can't basically throw anything away. You, I not can't. at all, absolutely not. And, you know, condiments, they last forever anyway. Um, I think what's unique to us, like, is the Korean things, mm. maybe. We have beautiful homemade gochujang. So gochujang is a chili paste, a fermented soybean chili paste that's traditional to Korea. I suppose most similar. And are you making vats of that and storing it? Well, we haven't made it here, but it's something that's been made in Korea and then we would bring it back. Mm. Um, and you can get... Like there's obviously artisan makers there. Gina's mum makes her own as well. We've made our own. So this will be available in this space that you're going to be Exactly. Up. We need this. Exactly. Um, <laughs> because actually a lot of the commercially made 
Gochujang, again, going back to kind of some of the points that we referenced earlier, you know, the first ingredients is high fructose corn syrup, and that's not yeah. really Gochujang, you right. know, um, and the fermentation yeah, process like is speeded up. up. They just switch to whatever the cheaper. Yeah. And you actually cannot buy a good artisan gochujang in, um, in the UK. Yeah. So uh, that's why we tend to make it. And then you or have tenjang, which is, <laughs> yeah, which is like the Fermented. version of a Japanese miso paste, but the fermentation Excuse process me? isn't. Uh, that's what I was going to go on to say. It's a version of, for the people who don't know what tenjang is, the closest approximation, okay. but it's very different, you know. Very unique. <laughs> very unique. Fermented soy paste. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and and then actually there's this uh, dashi uh, vinegar that my oh mom. Oh my god! That yeah, that is that's just incredible. Gina's mum made a fermented sauce where you have tashima, which is basically uh, a seaweed, um, like a kelp. Yeah. Um, and she combines that with a mixture of soju and uh, some so sugar the or Korean honey. Alcohol. Yeah. yeah. So is soju, uh, it's a, a, a bit like vodka. I mean, it, again, closest to sake, but not sake. <laughs> <laughs> Before Gina drills me down again. Um, uh, uh, rice liqueur or liquor. And um, and combines that with honey and, and sugar and some vinegar, and then you leave that to ferment for, uh, months. for months, like six months or so, and you're left with this really potent, slightly sweet, slightly salty sauce that you can use mixed with soy sauce and vinegar for a dipping sauce, mm-hmm. or added into soups and stews um, in the kind of the you know. Korean way where it would be combined with roasted sesame seed oil, soy sauce, garlic, kind of the the Oh yeah, the sesame seed oil, like I only buy Asian sesame seed oil. It's so different to like, you know, the supermarket toasted sesame oil or something. Really? Yeah, the difference is huge. A lot of them are like blended oils as well. You don't get the pure sesame oil. Oh, that you smell this one. It's like so rich. Yeah. So anything like you mix these things together with like plain rice, it just tastes amazing. (laughs) And that's the thing, you know, I I suppose, and there's a lot more that's available now with Korean condiments, but certainly when we were writing the book, we were worried about just people having access to those ingredients. And luckily now you really can, especially with so much being available to buy online because... And is that your go-to? Is it all online or have you got any kind of supermarkets that you'd recommend? Well, so there's some massive ones like Korea Foods and New Malden. They have other places around London. Um, H Mart. H Mart is another big Korean one. You can get loads of stuff on. Uh, even Sous Chef as well. That's right. a website for kind of more niche chefy type um, food ingredients. They have good stuff. So you re- and especially that's I suppose the one benefit of uh, the lockdown that people really ramped up what they were doing online yeah. because there was no other way of selling mm-hmm. it. And so now at least that will be one element uh, that's left over from the pandemic that, <laughs> you know, will be will be a blessing because it's just so much easier to find those ingredients and things now. And what's good about these things, they last forever. So yeah. you buy it and just like you don't have to use it up um, in short mm-hmm. time period. So and you can mix in salad and a lot of different things. Uh, be creative so yeah, yeah. yeah worth getting in delicious
Amazing. Well, I can't wait to try this sandwich. Yeah. Thank you both so much for your time today. I've loved every minute of it and your home is beautiful. Thank, Thank you very much. It's been a total pleasure <laughs> chatting you. to you. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining me this week on The Filling. You can follow me at Anna Barnett Cooks on Instagram for exclusive visuals of my guests' fabulous kitchens and for the recipe to recreate their go-to sandwiches. And of course, subscribe to The Filling on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. The music for today's podcast was recorded by Pony Bones. Pony Bones.